Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Going back to Luke 14. So we've already covered in talking about the different characteristics of a disciple. We're talking about living the life of a disciple. Well, we need to be constantly reminded about what are the characteristics of a disciple to help us continue to learn how to walk that out. Living out what again is already inside of us. Say that's already in there. What is the potential to live out the life of a disciple? He's already placed it within you. He's already given you this ability within you. So what we're doing is we're developing in it and learning how to walk in it as a new child of God. And we understand these characteristics. This will help us to do so because then we start recognizing the very person that is on the inside and what we have available to us. So the first characteristic we already looked at, John 8, 31 and 32, a disciple abides in the word of God, simply meaning that they themselves... Obviously, come to the Word, find out who they are. That Word comes alive in them. And by application, they begin to do what? See that very life of God rise up through them as a child of God. As he goes on to say, and the truth will set you free. As you abide in the Word, you'll know the truth. You'll be my disciples indeed, and the truth will set you free. Second characteristic was found in Luke 14, 26 here. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother. And of course, the phrase there is to love less. Matthew says it this way, you must yourself love Jesus more than you love father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, your own life also, or you cannot be my disciple. So number two, Jesus must be what? Your first love. You cannot allow yourself to have a love, a devotion of agape love. We're supposed to love all people, but we do it through the very love of God that's in us, but we don't love people or others more than we love Jesus. So we have to love Jesus first and foremost because obviously who you are devoted to in a sense of what we talked about of what Hosea 6 6, 6 says, who you have a steadfast devoted love to, you're going to become somebody of that type of person yourself because they're going to influence your life. So Jesus has to be our first love. The third characteristic, we're going to finish tonight. We started on it on Sunday morning. We had a little bit of a unique service Sunday night. So we're going to pick this back up here in Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So we all looked at this in relationship to the four aspects of what a disciple is in Matthew 16, 24. And so now we're picking up this characteristic here in the outline of what a disciple does. So a disciple does what? He bears his cross. What does that mean? Number three, a disciple... Listen to this. A disciple lives to fulfill the Father's will. I don't want to just say fulfill God's will. And I don't want to say fulfill the will of Jesus. The actual truth here of what he's saying is a disciple taking up your cross because this relates, as we've already shown you, verses on Sunday morning. This relates to what Jesus did. Jesus came bearing his cross, which was fulfilling the will of what? The Father. That's specific. Now, the reason I emphasize the the context of the third characteristic is that a disciple is going to fulfill the will of the Father. As a disciple of Jesus, that's what he did. Well, that's what you're going to do. So understand fulfilling the will of the Father is walking out this new life, this plan God has for you. In relationship to walking out in fulfillment of God's new will for your life, what he has for you, that's all about walking in the light of the new man. That's all about putting on the new man. Say it's already in there. Go to Colossians 3. So what religion teaches you, go back to Colossians 3. Religion teaches you that you need to change your life so you can please God by what you do outwardly and live in a way that's pleasing to him so that God can be pleased with you and therefore truly honor him. Well, the truth is you're already pleasing to God just by being born again. Now understand, to continue to walk in a position of pleasing God really just simply is a walk of what? Faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is just trusting in what God said about you. Trusting in what God said you can do. So religion tries to change man from a focus of the outward person 
actually changing what they're doing. That's not what I'm talking about here in carrying the cross that God has for you, picking up the will of God. No, we're choosing to learn to walk out what we have on the outside by looking to the guy on the inside. And that's the difference. You and I already have this characteristic of nature within us of being able to live out this new life, taking up what is the will of God, the will of the Father for us. But we got to do what? We got to learn about this new man on the inside. The reason a lot of Christians really struggle and fail at walking in this newness of life on the outside is because they don't understand the person on the inside. Colossians 3.1 this needs to be more than just words on a page, knowing this man on the inside, as I prayed for you earlier tonight. It really needs to become a revelation to us by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.1 says, if then you were raised with Christ. So this is a qualifier. If you were raised with Christ, let me see your hand. If you were raised with Christ, so you've been born again, what should you do? Seek those things which are now what? Above. And notice the statement again, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So let me explain this verse again. What he's telling you here is he's telling you, you need to get a new focus of the new you. Uh, seeking those things above, notice again where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God is talking about you in Christ Jesus, the new you. I'll prove it. Hold your place here. You can just back up to Ephesians for a minute. Just back up. To Ephesians chapter 2, I won't have time to read all of this because we just got a, a short bit of time together tonight. Obviously, every time we get together, time goes so quick. But I'll just prove it to you. What he's referring to in Colossians 3.1 is what is referred to over here in Ephesians chapter 2. So if I am raised with Christ, I'm now to seek those things which are above, seeking those things are above, as you're about to see again, is just getting a new vision of the new me. The reason you know that's true is because he's talking about where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Well, let's see where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. What's, what's going on here? Ephesians 2 verse 4, God who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, a sinner, he did what? Made us alive together, what? With Christ. By grace you've been saved. So I've been made alive together with Christ. Verse 6, moving on, he also did what? Raised us up together, and he did what? Made us. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All that phrase to say, you're not who you used to be. You're not who you used to be. So back to Colossians 3.1. That's what this is referring to. When it says here, you were raised with Christ, now seek the things which are above. What things? Who you now are. This new man, this new life, this new lifestyle, this new person that is now sitting with Christ at the right hand of God. So what he's saying is, get a whole new perspective of life from the position of where you are in God as a child of God. You can't do that if you don't see the new you. When you see life from the position where God's placed you as a child of God from the person that's on the inside, I guarantee you, you're going to look at life a whole lot different, man. You're going to live a lot less frustrated, stressful, uh, worried, worried, frazzled life because none of that is of your new man. Verse 2 goes on to talk about this more. Set your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So again, this is getting a new view. A new view of what? You. A new view of who you are. That's why the reference to the sitting at the right hand of, the, of God in heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on what? Things of the earth. So simple truth of what he just told you. Stop looking at your life through the old viewpoint. Stop looking at your life. How do I look at my life through the old viewpoint? Through the carnal man. Through the old nature. Start looking at your life through the new man. So I'm going to show you this tonight because if you look at your life through the new man, you'll begin to do what? Take up now what is your cross, which is what? The will of God for your life. What's the will of God for your life? Putting on the new man. Walking in this new man. But to do that, I got to get a view of the new you. I got to get a view of the new me. Verse 3, watch this. You died. You died. And your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, when he returns, how many looking forward to that day? How many know we're getting closer all the time? Well, they've been saying that forever. Let me help you. The prophecies, what was going on in the past, of what the, excuse me, the prophecies, what the Bible said, 
of what we saw happen in the past hadn't been fulfilled yet. There is nothing else that you can see of what needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. Amen. So why are we not there yet? It's up to God. Amen. But what needs to happen has happened. For you died and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ who is our life appears, when he does appear, what will we do? We'll appear with him in glory. So what does that mean? So if you're here and he returns and he appears, notice it says he appears. He doesn't step down on the ground. That's the second coming. You listening? This is his first appearing. After having been here, this will be his first appearing where he'll appear in the, in the clouds. Thessalonians says, and what will happen? All who are still here and remain Amen. that are obviously in Christ, what will happen? They'll be transformed instantly. Amen. Bible says in a twinkling of an eye, they will be transformed. You ready? You ready? You ready? From mortal to immortal. Amen. So your body will be instantly changed. That, that, that's what this verse is referring to. It says right here in verse 4, when Christ our life appears, what will happen? You will appear with him in what? Now, in glory doesn't mean now you'll appear with him in heaven, although, yeah, you're going to go up there. You're going to be caught up. But in glory means you're going to now be in this glorified state. Just like Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall. The reason Adam and Eve didn't need any clothes before the fall is because the glory of God covered them. The glory of God was upon them. When they sinned, that glory left. So it's not like obviously now all of a sudden they just noticed something they didn't notice before. They couldn't see it before because of the glory of the Lord. So that then will be in what? A glorified state. Verse 5. Therefore, what should you do until that time comes? Until he appears, what should we do? You need to do what? Put to death your members which are on the earth. That's the outer man. Say so that's the outer man. That's the old fallen Adamic nature. You're to put death to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Don't get confused about the word passion. doesn't mean you can't be passionate about the things of God or what God has for your life. This is talking about fleshly passions that would lead you in a wrong direction. Verse 6, because of these things, what he's mentioning here, guess what? These, this is Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which... You yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, once walked means that was your lifestyle. So before you were born again, guess what? That was your lifestyle. Guess what? That's not our lifestyle anymore. How do we know? Because I'm a new man. I need to see this new man. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Amen. Verse 10, and have put on what? The new man, which is, uh, who is, excuse me, renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of Jesus, image of him who created us. Amen. Who made it possible for us to be made brand new, born again. 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, doesn't matter your past, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all in all. So what he's telling you there is it doesn't matter about your upbringing, your past. You know, what the world does and what the enemy does and even some so-called well-meaning Christians do is they try to get you to look back at your past from the natural perspective. You know what the Bible says about that? You know what Paul learned about that? I forgot what's behind. Aren't you glad we can? So realize that we don't go back and look back at all of what we did in the natural to try to fix who we are today. That's not going to change who we are today. How do we fix who we are today? We don't look back. We start looking within. We start looking within to the new man. And we start seeing this new image of who we are in Christ Jesus. And the more we do, guess what? The more it can change our life. Now, he did reference putting off a lot of stuff here, and I'm going to explain something about how that works in our life, all right? So I'm going to give you three things tonight to connect with. How can I take up the cross that God wants me to take up, doing what? Fulfilling the will of the Father. How can I do that as a believer, in essence, walking in this new man? Number one, I want you to write this down. I want you to write the way that I have it worded. The Holy Spirit gave it to me this way. The first thing you got to do is change your view to the new you. I've said it multiple times. You will not walk in the will of God. You will not take up your cross and walk in the will of God, this new you, until you change your view 
You got to change your view to the new you. So normally we would say that like this, well, you got to renew your mind to the word. I think it gets lost though in today's Christianity to just say renew your mind to the word. I've asked this forever about Romans 12 too, right? You're not to be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing. Do not, do not be conformed to the world. Don't live like the world. Why? You're not of it anymore. Be transformed. How? How? By the renewing of your mind. So I ask this question all the time. Tell your neighbor, don't answer pastor right now. Everywhere I go, I ask this question. When I read those verses in relationship to anything I teach on this, I ask people, so what do you renew your mind to? You know what everybody says? The word of God. True, but not true. Well, okay, yeah, we know we got to go to the Word of God to renew our mind. But when you just say the Word of God, what part of the Word of God? What part of the Word of God? See, if we just say, well, we got to renew our mind to the Word, that doesn't give us, that'd be like saying, well, you know what, Josh? I got a vehicle right over here in Denton at the Walmart that you need to work on, okay? There's a vehicle there that I need you to work on, so just go find it. It's a vehicle, it's in the parking lot, but just go. Well, there's many vehicles. Right? Right? But if I give him a definitive color, a model, a license plate number, right? Now he knows what to look for. And guess what? He can get it fixed. You know why a lot of Christians don't get their life fixed? Because they say, well, I'm just to renew my mind to the Word of God. No. You're supposed to renew your mind to the new you in the Word of God. You got to focus on what you're renewing your mind to. So if you renew your mind to this new man, so I don't want to say it as renew your mind, although you can, but this is more powerful. What am I doing in renewing my mind? I'm changing my view to the new you. I'm changing my view to the new me. That's what, we're, that's what he's talking about here in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. We got to change this view to the new you. Verse 10, you put on this new man who is renewed in knowledge. You have to have knowledge. You have to have knowledge of this new man who's renewed in knowledge according to this image of Christ because we're one with him who created us. So you and I have to have a renewing of our mind to the new you. Now, if you do this, I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to totally change your life. But I want, you to sh- I want to show you something. Go to Luke 2. This won't happen because you heard it in a sermon. How many have ever heard in your lifetime... If you haven't, you just did tonight. How many of you ever heard in your lifetime that you got to renew your view to the new you to see your life change? Anybody ever heard that? No. Oh, nobody's ever heard that. Yeah. Nobody here's ever heard that if you want to change your life, you got to have your mind renewed to the new you. Uh-huh. I just said it to you. <laughs> wow. I'm doing a really bad job tonight, Linda. How many of you have ever heard... That you've got to renew your mind to the new you. How many have ever heard that? But just hearing that doesn't make it happen. You listening? So if you just heard it in a sermon, wonderful that I know about it. But listen, that's not going to make it just happen. Look at Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 2 here, real quick for uh, actual history of of what we're looking at. Here we have Jesus at the age of 12. I know most of you remember this. At the age of 12, every single year, the Jews were required to travel to Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Passover. They were to bring their sacrifices. If they couldn't bring them, they were to bring money and then, of course, exchange them, get sacrifices for all their family during Passover. Well, Joseph and Mary are doing this every year. Now that Jesus is here, they're taking him with him. At the age of 12, by the age of 12, the average Jewish child could quote the first five books of of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Isn't that amazing? By 12, almost every Jewish child could literally quote to you the first five books. You know why? They didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have magazines. They didn't have comic books. You listening? They didn't have any of that. You know what they had? They had at their home every single night the scriptures being read to them from their mom and dad, their families, and them, them themselves learning to quote and remember these verses. So at the age of 12, most could do that. At the age of 12... Here's Jesus with his family. Now think about this, parents. So you go to Jerusalem, and as you get to Jerusalem, you do your thing, go to the feast, get everything done, and you start heading home. Say a day's journey. 
They're a full day's journey away from Jerusalem heading back towards home because it took them more than a day to get back home. And as they get a full day's journey, all of a sudden, guess what they realize? Jesus ain't here. Now, how could that happen? They traveled in major groups of families because they had so far to go. They would travel together like in a big caravan with families they knew. Kids would play together, uh, do all kinds, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like unusual that you didn't see your child every moment of the day in this whole group. You're just figuring they're there. Imagine how bad Mary and Jesus, how bad Mary and Joseph felt. We lost Jesus. We lost the Son of God. We lost him. We don't know where he is. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So here they are at the end of a day. It's like, we, where's it? Nobody knows. So you know what they got to do? Turn around and head back. Everybody else goes on. So they turn around and, so they're another day's journey. So they've been two days already. Another full day's journey just to get back to Jerusalem. So they get back to Jerusalem. Look at this, verse 46. And so it was that after three days, then they had to search for him for three days. Five days they're there without Jesus. Five days. Two days traveling, three days there. After three days, they finally find him. And where did they find him? Now listen, honestly, they should have known to some degree. But at the same time, they're thinking it's a 12-year-old boy. Where are you going to find a 12-year-old boy? Go to the marketplace where all the food is, right? Or go somewhere where the kids play or whatever. They're not looking at any, They're not thinking about the temple. But finally, after three days, they found him where? In the temple. Notice this. He was sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, see, a lot of people say, well, this was the Son of God. What are you? You're sons and daughters of God. See, so you're the new man. You're made in his image. You're made in his likeness. Let that set on you a minute. You're not any different than him. He was the firstborn from the dead, not the only. He was just the first one. Then there was a second, then there was a third, and a three thousandth, and a millionth. Doesn't matter what number you were. Can I get a better amen? See, don't look at the context of the story. Jesus said, well, he, he was the son of God. We're sons and daughters of God. So are we now that we're born again. What was he doing? Verse 46, sitting in the midst of the teachers, and he was listening to them and asking them questions. Now, this is interesting. God in flesh is not just only listening to them, he's asking them questions. He's learning from them. And even though he is actually learning about his father that he already knows, he's still learning as an individual, as a human perspective of what you could understand of of an understanding of the mind, knowledge of the mind. He's learning from these actual leaders, religious leaders in the temple, more about the scriptures and the things of God. 47, all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, you know, this always strikes me. Can you imagine what those who were teaching him thought when they found out that they were teaching the son of God? Wow, we were teaching the Son of God. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So all who heard him, 47, were astonished at what? His understanding yes. and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, right? right. This is not where, in other words, this is not where Joseph and Mary no. expected to find him. Right. Come on, church. Right. If you lost your kid, you probably wouldn't come to look here in the sanctuary for the first place to try to find him. You're probably looking at the park or somewhere else or whatever, but probably not the sanctuary. So when they saw him, they were amazed, 48, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Question, did he do it to them? No. No, that was, who's responsible to make sure he's with them? They were. They were. Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you, what? Anxiously, obviously. 49. Again, I could just picture, we lost Jesus. We lost Jesus. We lost the Son of God. (laughs) 49, he said to them, notice his response, why did you seek me? Now, isn't that interesting? Interesting. Why'd you seek me? Like what? You don't know the Father wouldn't take care of me? Why'd you seek me? Watch this. Did you not know that I must be about my what? So if this was Jesus himself walking out what we know, was going to be bearing his cross to fulfill the will of God. How about me and you? So I want you to get this point. You're not going to change the view of the new you, listen, unless spiritual things become a priority in your life. If spiritual things are not a priority in your life, you're not going to see the new you. You're not going to walk out the new will of God for your life. You're not going to walk in the new will of God for your life. You're not going to walk out what God has for you. You're not going to take up your cross. You can, but you can't do it without doing what? Making spiritual things a priority. If spiritual things are not a priority, obviously that's not going to happen because guess what you are? A spirit being. 
Jesus proved as a relationship to what we can walk in the light of with the Father. Jesus proved what? Spiritual things are what he was focused on. Spiritual things was what his life was about. Again, people will say to me, well, that was the Son of God. My question again is, what are you? If you're a son or daughter of God, would you not make spiritual things a priority to walk in this new life Jesus has for you? See, we got two ways to live, folks. There's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of God. You can choose to live under whichever you want. If you live under the kingdom of the world, you're going to have to trust in your own ability, your own strength, and what you have in the natural to overcome what you deal with. If you live under the work of the, the excuse me, if you live under the, the aspect of the, uh, of the leadership of the kingdom of God, guess what you have now available? All the resources of God himself. Amen. So it's our choice. Yes. It's our choice. Hallelujah. I like the fact we can tap into all the resources Amen. of God. But see, if, if spiritual things aren't a priority in your life, how are you going to develop spiritually? How are you going to learn who you are? How are you going to develop an understanding of your spirit being? If I don't think spiritual things are significant or important in my life, well, guess what you are? You're a spirit being. Then how are you going to get to know you? That'd be like a guy saying, well, you know what? I want to get really good at hitting the baseball, so I'm going to go find a football and somebody to play football with. Well, that would be dumb. You're not going to get very good at hitting the baseball by playing football. Well, you're not going to get very good at walking in the will of God. By only focusing on all of your attention on carnal stuff and not spiritual things when you're a spirit being. Amen. So I've got to make spiritual things a priority. Amen? Amen. Not because I have to. Because no, I, I want to. Yes. I want to develop in an understanding and enlightenment of this new man. Amen? Amen? So the first key for you and me taking up and walking out this new life, taking up the new man, is we've got to do what? Change our view to the new you. So I've got to change my view to the new me. Go to the book of Hebrews. So how do we change our view to the new us? Well, first of all, you obviously do so by doing what? Making spiritual things a priority. Living in the scriptures, primarily New Testament. Learning who you are in Christ Jesus. Coming to church in a context of a church like ours that emphasizes this and focuses on it almost all the time to help you understand who you are. Not in a religious church where all they're going to do is teach you a bunch of man-made doctrine and man-made religion that doesn't ever tell you about who you are, show you what you got, and what you've been made to be. But if you and I understand the significance of this, then we understand I've got to have a renewal of this, the way that I see things. I've got to renew my vision to see myself as a spirit being and see the new me. Now, there's a second thing you can do practically. Remember he talked about putting off all these old things? And, and then putting on this new man through this renewal. And there's a second thing that you're going to add to that. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. Paul here, writing to the context of the, of the uh, church of the Hebrews, watch this. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now what he was saying in the context of this letter is, you ought to be a little higher up in your position of your walk with God at this point, not like all of you are called to fivefold ministry. All he's saying is, you ought to be able to teach others now by now what I've been teaching you. If you look it up, that's what he's saying. He's not saying you ought to be a fivefold teacher. It's not this referring. Not everybody in the fivefold, you know. Excuse me. Not everybody in the body of Christ is going to be a fivefold ministry teacher. So he's not referring to that. I mean, if you learn something, like example, if you learn something in life that relates to something you can do, guess what? If you're good at it, you should be able to turn around and teach somebody else how to do the same thing. That's what he was saying. You ought to be able to teach others now. See, how long are you going to sit in church and not be able to teach others how to walk in this? So he says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, guess what? You need someone again, he said. I'm not saying this of you. I'm just talking about what he's talking about here because it's going to give us an understanding of how to see this development and growth. He says, you need someone to teach you again the first principles, the very first principles of the oracles or the doctrines or the teachings of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. There is a time as a believer that you should go from beyond the basic milk of the word to solid food, meaning I'm going beyond convert now. Right? I'm going to start becoming an epistle to the degree I'm now going to develop into a disciple. And I'm going to be strong and mature as a disciple of Christ. Well, you're not going to get somebody physically developed strong and mature by just milk. At some point, they got to get on the meat. Right? They got to get on more solid food. Notice again, you've come to need milk and not solid food. 
13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Listen to this. You ought to underline this. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, that's an interesting statement. Everyone who partakes only of milk. If they only partake of milk, really, in one simple sense to understand it, here's what it means. You come hear the word of God preach, and that's all you do. You just hear it preach. But when you leave, you don't really adjust anything. You don't change anything. You don't really practice any of it. You just come and hear the word and leave. If all you do is just come hear the word and leave, thank God you're coming to hear the word. But I guarantee you, you're never going to get to solid food by just coming and hearing the word preached only. What I'm giving you, in a sense, is the milk of the word. It's not like we don't give you meat to, to chew on. But the whole point is, it really doesn't turn into solid food until you take it and begin to apply it to your life. Amen. Everyone who partakes of milk only, again, is what? What are they? Tell me. Listen to that. Tell me again. They're unskilled in the word of what? Righteousness, for he is what? So this means an immature believer. Why, what's the significance of unskilled in the word of righteousness? If you know who the new man is, guess what you know about the new man? I'm righteous. I'm a new man because I've been made righteous. You're going to be unskilled, in other words, in the knowledge of the new man. You're not going to walk in a knowledge of the new man, which is totally based on one gift that God gave you called the gift of righteousness. If you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, I've been given this gift of righteousness. How'd you get that? Born again, made brand new. So he's referring to the fact that you're going to stay immature to some degree if you don't understand how to get off the milk and get onto the solid food. If you just stay on the milk of the word, you're not going to, in essence, can I just say it this way? Because it's what he's saying. You're not going to know who you really are. Now, how do you know if a Christian knows who they are or not? Ask them if they're righteous or not. Are you righteous? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, see, you're, you're on the milk of the word. Because if you're on the meat, guess what you say? Oh, yeah, man, I'm as righteous as I'll ever be with God. I'm already right with God. Why? I got that new gift. I already know who I am on the inside. I didn't earn it. God gave it to me. But it's got to be more than just something in your head. And if you truly see a, a vision of this new guy, guess what you see of this new guy? A guy or gal who is completely right with God. Wait a minute. If I know that I'm completely right with God as I've taught you, what else does that now lead to? You ready? I also know what I have a right to. See, if you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, who you are as a born-again child of God, you don't feel like you have a right to anything oftentimes that God has already promised you. And this is where Christians miss it, and now they go to try to earning things from God that God already gave them. One of the greatest stories about this in the Bible is the actual parable, remember this? The actual parable of what we talk about all the time as it relates to the very one who was known as the prodigal son who went away and what did? He wasted what he had as an inheritance. But at the end of that time of his wasting of his inheritance and realizing I'd be better off back at my dad's house as a servant. This guy that I'm actually feeding the pigs for won't even let me eat the pig slop. He won't even let me eat the pods I feed to the pigs. He won't let me do that. I'd be so much better if I just returned back to my dad's house and just became a servant in my dad's house. I'm not even worthy to be called a son anymore. But at least maybe he would put me in as a position of a slave or a servant in his home. So at least I had some decent meals to eat. Now, what put him in that position? He was asking for his inheritance from the father. His father gave him his inheritance. He went and wasted his inheritance. He didn't value it. He didn't take it for what it was really worth. And after having done so, he now thinks, I'm no longer a son of God. Wait a minute. Is he a son? Excuse me. I'm no longer a son of this father. Is he a son or not? Yes. Is he a son because of what he did? No. He's a son because of what? His father did. Because his father had him, he'll always be his son. Right? And when he comes back home, he gets an unexpected reception from the father. Now, he was living wrong, so he wasn't walking his rightful inheritance. He wasn't walking in what he had really available as a child of God, in essence, that story of what a child of God could, But because he wasted it wrongfully. But as he comes back home repentant, what's the father doing? He's waiting there for him to come home with loving arms. What does he do? Put a, he puts on him a new robe and a new ring and all this kind of stuff, and he throws a party for him. 
And he said, thank God my son who was lost is now home again. Right? right? So it's like a backslidden believer. Or even in the sense of what, what the Jewish nation was, that now he's born again. Now he's come into the, uh, obviously back into the home. But realize this, he was always a son because of what? What he did? No, because of what the father had done. But when he came back, what did he say to his father? I know that I'm not worthy to receive anything from you. I just want to be a slave. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You're worthy, son, to come in my home because you're my son. You're not worthy because of what you have or haven't done. You're worthy because of what I did to birth you. Let me help you, church. You don't base what you receive from God based on whether you're perfect or not. You base it on one thing. I am the righteousness of God, free gift, so I have a right to what God has for me. Are you saying we can live any way we want and get our inheritance? That won't work because you won't put faith in God doing that. The Bible says if you live a willful sinning life, you will not have confidence in God. It'll affect your ability to believe God. But the point is, as one who's born again, do I have a right to all that God has for me because of what I've done or haven't done? No. I have a right to it because of what? I'm his son. Who made that possible? Jesus did. Hallelujah. I see a lot of people are still trying to earn from God what they have a right to as a child of God as their inheritance. Now, interesting, both these sons respond in, in, in context to the same thing, but just different response. Because the other son who stayed home comes back home and all of a sudden he hears this party going on. Right? Am I boring you? He hears it. Hey, what's, he goes up to the server. What's going on? Well, your brother came home. Your dad's throwing a party. He's finally come home. He's finally seen the light. He came home, praise God. So your dad threw a party for him. He did what? Man, I've been here toiling and working all this time. I've been what? Toiling and working. I've been what? Toiling and working. He's never thrown a party for me. He wouldn't even go in. So obviously the servant goes in, tells the dad. The dad comes out and says, come on, man. You should come in and celebrate with us. Your brother's home. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. I served you faithfully. I served you. I served you. I served you. I served you. Faithfully all these years. You never threw a party for me. You could have had a party anytime you wanted, son. Anytime you wanted because all that I have is yours. It was available to you. You never asked. Why didn't he ask? He's trying to earn it. He's trying to earn what's rightfully his. Come on, somebody. The whole story of the prodigal son is two sons who both thought they were unworthy to receive what they had a right to because of the fact they were sons, not because of what they'd done. When you see yourself as the righteousness of God, you not only see yourself as who you really are, but you also understand what you have a right to. And the devil's in trouble when he finds out you know what you have a right to. Any good amens on that? Notice verse 14. So he says again in verse 13, if you only partake of milk, you're unskilled in this understanding of who you really are. You're still a baby Christian. 14, but solid food, solid food belongs to those, listen, who are of full age. Now the word here means that in, in one translation it says perfected or, or, or a state of perfection. It just means maturity. Well, that would mean matured to like a disciple stage. So solid food belongs to those who are full age or matured. Notice this, that, notice this, that is those who what? By reason of use, by what? Reason of use, have their senses exercised to do what? Discern both good and evil. You know what you have? You have senses. You have senses about you. Things affect you every day because of what your senses tell you. Based on what somebody said to you, how they said it to you, how they acted towards you, how they didn't act toward you. Your senses pick up on these things. And your senses oftentimes lead you to get in the carnal nature and the fleshly nature, which is evil and not good. How do I not do that? How do I take up the Father's will? How do I put on this new man? Number two, you ready? The second nugget here of walking out the Father's will and putting on the new man, you got to begin to practice walking in the new you. You got to practice. You got to practice walking in the new you. Why? Because you didn't do it before you got born again. The word reason of use there in the, in the actual Greek language says it this way. You by practice, practicing, practicing, walking in this righteousness, this new man who God made you to be, as you practice doing so, what will happen? You will begin to discern. You will begin to have the ability to discern between good and evil. Right. 
Meaning that you won't let your flesh rule you anymore. Amen. You listening? If you'll start practicing what the new man does, that practicing of what the new man does will begin to let that new man come out. And as you practice it, you'll get good at it. You're not changing yourself from the outside in. You're changing yourself from the inside out. You're getting a picture of the new man. And as you do, you begin to practice what that new man would do. That's what he's telling you right here. And as I begin to practice that, what happens? My mind is now being fully renewed to the revelation of the new man as I walk in the light of practicing these things and I begin to discern between good and evil where all of a sudden I'd want to speak my mind like I always do. My senses go, uh-uh. No, I've practiced walking in love long enough to know now that I do not want to speak my mind and just say what my flesh wants to say. That ain't going to be love. That ain't going to bring peace. That ain't going to bring any joy. That's certainly not going to be any way long-suffering nor forgiving. And all we're going to do is cause more problems. Are you listening? It's as you begin to practice the new man on the inside. So think of it again. What are we talking about? That new man's already there. The potential's already there. You talk about any aspect of anybody that learns anything in life. I don't care whatever it relates to what is a gifting in, inside them. That gifting may be there, but guess what they got to do to help develop that gifting and see it manifest? They got to practice it. They got to practice it. You can't get somebody to become good at something that they don't have an ability to become good at. Right? Right? Like example, one of the key examples like I'll show you it happens in church in relationship to sound, okay? In the relationship to sound of adjusting sound on a sound system, you cannot gift somebody with the ability to hear with their ears all the different levels of sound. Some people have those giftings, some people don't. If you want to know in relationship to the recording industry, who makes the big bucks? Yeah, okay, the singers and them do based on sales, but guess who makes the big bucks putting all that stuff together? The sound engineer does. Why? Because he's a very, uh, very severely gifted individual. They can sit there listening to all this different music, all these different instruments, and man, they can just start going through there, and and you're like, wow, how come I can't hear that? Because you don't have that gift. You can't teach that to somebody. They either have that gift or they don't. I've talked to many sound engineers. People have been in sound for years. A company we buy equipment from, a gentleman by the name of David McLean, who's been a sound engineer for now probably a little over 40 years of his life. He said, you can't teach it. Either they can hear it or they can't. Either they have that ability or they can't. Right? There's people that have capabilities of doing stuff with their hands mechanically, but guess what? There's people who can't. And isn't it funny how we think everybody should be able to do everything we do? You listening? I'm telling you, we got a nurse here. We've got, my mom was a nurse. Let me help you. Uh, you don't want me in an operating table <laughs> with, and a scalpel in my hand and, and me cutting you open. Why? Because I'll probably pass out the first time I slit you open. God gives certain people that ability to be able to do those things. But you know what? Just because that ability's there, did you have to go to school? Did you have to train? Did you have to learn? Sure. So you got to do what? You got to bring that ability out. Well, guess what you got to do? As a child of God, that ability to live out that new man is in there. But guess what I got to do? Practice. I got to put into practice that new man so I can begin to develop that skill set of that new, that new nature. And therefore, I'm taking up the will of God. I'm carrying my cross. But to do it, I got to do what? I got to practice this new nature. You want to see who you are? I'm going to show you tonight who you are. Turn your neighbor. Say, Pastor's about to show you the real you. Watch this. Go to Galatians. Chapter 5. Yeah, we're going to see the real you, man. We're going to see the real person on the inside. The Bible over and over, New Testament gives you all kinds of views of the new you. You need to see that new you. And as you start, this is, if I could just give you one set of scriptures to focus your attention on, to practice walking in the new you, this is it. This is it. There's no other better verses in all the Bible I could ever find that would give you a concise picture of the new you. And if you begin to practice these things, I'll tell you what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. So let's say again, uh, in my case, as a young bull rider wanting to get better at bull riding, guess what I had to do? I had to practice. 
That wasn't easy. I had a busy schedule already. I'm working a job driving a cement mixer. Uh, even driving a cement mixer in Phoenix, I was driving 65 to 80 hours a week. On top of that, guess what I got to do? I got to find time to push everything else aside and get to a practice pen every Tuesday night to get on two or three practice bulls, not just one. But I'd get on two or three practice bulls a night. I would continue to make the time to spend with the guy that I picked up understanding of how to do this from, to spend time with him, travel with him. I had to make the effort to go beyond myself, out of the way, doing other things, push them aside, get those out of the way, to do what? To spend time to practice this if I wanted to get good at it. I wouldn't get good at it just because I wanted to be good at it. I wasn't getting good. You're not going to get good at bull riding just hearing people talk about it. You're not going to become a good disciple just hearing me preach about it. You got to learn to practice it. You got to get the practice pen. Amen. And if you don't have somebody in relationship to help you, what you do, the Holy Spirit in the case of a disciple and your pastor. But guess what? Without practicing this stuff, it don't happen. This is the part people don't get. They think by coming and hearing a sermon and then just going home and then still having the view of the old them. The old nature, somehow this is going to change. No, God change your view. How do you change your view? Make spiritual things a priority. And number two, you got to practice these things. So what I began to do, when I began to learn and get understanding of how, of what the practicalities are of how to ride a bull, I had a bad habit. I had a really bad habit that I picked up because I didn't know what I was doing. And so all I'm doing is just trying to hang on. Right? I'm just trying to make it to the whistle. And so in context of that, I, I actually picked up a bad habit where you're sitting on the back of the bull. I'm sitting here with a hunch in my back. Well, that's not good. And I couldn't even figure out. I even had, I had a world champion bull rider who I knew very well, who I went to and I said, man, every time I get on these bulls that don't kick real good, they're kind of lunging. They always jerk me off my rope and I get bucked off. Now, if they kick pretty good, I got a pretty good chance. Why? Because if they kick on you, if they every single jump kick on you, it don't matter if you're sitting on your ring because guess what they're going to do when they kick? They're going to shoot you right back up to your rope. But bulls that don't do that, that lunge and nasty and dirty and all this kind of stuff, I'll guarantee you what they're going to do. When that bull leaves you, you got 1,800 pounds going this way, and you're sitting on your rear end, right? So all your weight's on your back end. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to go on the back end of that bull because all your weight's going to shift you back. There's nothing there to help carry you forward. What you got to learn in bull riding is you got to shift your weight forward up to the inside of your legs. Anybody ever ride a horse bareback without a saddle? If you ever rode a horse bareback without a saddle up a hill, try to do it without, try to do it by sitting like this with all your weight on your rear end. Let me tell you, you're going to slide off the horse. There's nothing to hold you up there. If you're not on a saddle, there's no saddle horn to hold on to. There's no stirrups where your feet are at. Right? Oh, you might could hold on to the mane for a while, but I'm just telling you, you're going to have to try to hold on. I'm going to tell you why. Because all your weight's on the back end as that horse is leaving you going up a hill. Guess what all your weight's going to do? Shift backwards. But guess what happens if you roll your weight up on the inside of your legs? That horse starts carrying you. Guess what happens when you do that in bull riding, when that bull jumps out of, the, out, of the, out of that jump and starts moving forward? He carries you. The goal of trying to become a bull rider, sorry to, bar, bull, you know, sorry to bore you my bull riding stories, but it's where I lived. The key to understanding that is, is you're just trying to get that bull to pack you around for eight seconds. You're not trying to hang on to him. You kidding me? A 150-pound man, man cannot overpower an 1,800-pound bull. Try it. It don't work. That's not how it works. You just want to get in a position where he just carries you around. You counter what he's trying to do to get you off his back, and you keep doing so by certain movements you need to, you know, you need to make. So I had to learn these basics to understand how to become successful to become a bull rider. But just learning them didn't help me make them happen. Guess what I had to do? I had to practice it. I had to practice it. So lo and behold, I finally find out from a guy that this is my problem. I got this hunch in my back that I'm, I got to get my weight shifted up. Well, you know what? That's tough to do mentally on a bull. One thing about bull riding, when you know you got a specific thing you got to deal with, you're on the back of a bull. That, every bull can do something different. And you, you can't mentally assent to everything you're supposed to do in eight seconds. When a bull's, you know, bucking, your, your mind's already thinking about, you know, this guy's got big old horns or whatever, you know. So what do you do? Well, you do one of two things. Now, a lot of guys tried practice barrels. Those are horrible, most of them. They cause more problems than good. Most of the old style practice barrels. But I actually had a guy who was a world champion bull rider who used to do schools, who I saw on a video, point this out. This is one of the biggest problems of people that get sitting on the rear and they got to get their weight shifted up to their inside of their legs. The easiest way to do is build a stationary barrel. 
What? Build a stationary barrel. Get on a stationary barrel and for hours practice the perfect move of keeping your back straight and what you got to do because now you're programming your body to just automatically do it. And when I started doing that, I mean, when I was single, if you came to my house during this time of my life, I had a stationary barrel on a wooden stand that I made in my living room in front of my TV. I sat for hours practicing this move over and over and over again. Well, guess what? It began to cause my body to respond and begin to condition itself to do what I had not been doing. And and I began to become successful. Are you listening? But none of that would have happened by just seeing a video or somebody telling me. I had to go practice it. Well, guess what? If you're just going to hear the sermon but not start practicing what you are, it's not going to change who you are. Now, I brought all that up to say this. You have to look at who you are. Like, I had to look at myself as a bull rider. I didn't have a lot of problems with bulls going away from my hand, spinning. A lot of bull riders do. I did not. I actually rode those bulls better then bulls into my hand. Most guys are just the opposite. Bull goes in your hand, you got kind of got something to pull with. Away from your hand, you don't. But I actually rode those bulls better. So I didn't really have a problem with dealing with those issues. But if you're going to get good at walking out this new man, guess what you got to do? You got to know where your weaknesses are. Come on. on the outside, you got to change that by practicing those things you need to work on. That's right. All right. So what I'm about to do is describe who you are. And then you've got a choice. You've got to decide whether I want to start practicing these things so I can do what? Walk in the new man. How many want to put on the new man? Here he is. You ready? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't have time here. I do not have time to deal with this. I've told you this before. I could prove it to you. If you want to come and talk to me about it, I'll show you later in John 15. The word Spirit here is capitalized. If you're new to understanding the study of the Scriptures, capitalization was never in the original language. You couldn't find a capitalized S in the Greek language. So... All punctuation, capitalization, was all done by English translators to the best of their ability to be able to capitalize this letter is to try to refer to the fact this is the Holy Spirit, but in fact, in the context, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's your spirit. Your spirit does not have a, excuse me, your flesh does not have a battle with the Holy Spirit. Your flesh has a battle with your spirit, thus saith the Bible. Romans 7, you want to know the battle? Your spirit and your flesh, not the Holy Spirit. You've been made in the image and likeness of God. You're seated at the right hand of Jesus. You're made just like him. You're one spirit with him. Guess what you've got? You've got the same very nature that he has. So this isn't the Holy Spirit here. This is your spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is what? So say, this is the fruit. Say, this is the fruit of my new man. What's fruit mean? This is how I can live. This is the guy that's in there. This is what's available to me to tap into to be able to take up my cross to now walk in this new man. The fruit of the Spirit is first what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nine fruits of the Spirit. Guess what we just looked at? You. Those are nine characteristics of the new you. They're all in there. They're already in there. Yes, they are. Well, I just can't forgive after what they did to me. Yes, you can. You're going by your flesh. That's right. Which, by the way, I'll just, just throw this out at you. Jesus said it in a parable. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, Father can't forgive you. Chew on that for a while. Right. I would forgive. Yeah. Forgiveness isn't feeling like you want to forgive. Forgiveness is acting on the new nature of the new man on the inside of you and choosing to walk away and let it go. Amen. Watch this. Against such, verse 23, there is no what? In other words, there's no need to ever be concerned about violation of anything God would have ever said because if you're walking in the new man, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to violate anything he ever said. That's right. Verse 24, and those who are Christ's, born again, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in other words, what he's saying is you really already have crucified your flesh whether you know it or not because he died How many times have we seen this already in this series? That I died. Say, I died. So he's saying the same thing. He's saying here at the end of verse 24 that notice again, uh, very clearly, uh, those who are Christ have what? Crucified the flesh. Meaning what? That person already died. That old fleshly context of that old spirit man, of that aspect of my nature, of my spirit man died. Say, he died. 
25, if we live in the Spirit. So in other words, if you are a born-again, new, spirit child of God, what should we do? Walk in that Spirit. Walk in it. All he's saying in verse 25 is if you're born again and have this new nature, guess what you should do? Walk in that new nature. Walk in that new guy. That's the new guy. That's you taking up your cross. That's you walking out the will of God. That's you walking in the new man. That's you putting on the new man. But how do you do this? Renewal of the mind to the new man and doing what? Practicing. Practicing. What do I need to practice? Walking in love. Biblical love. Godly love. Godly love doesn't hide things from people. Love speaks the truth. But it doesn't do it in a mean, cruel way. Are you still with me? Notice what else? Joy. If you have a hard time rejoicing and staying in the joy of the Lord in times of your life that you're going through troubles, guess what you should do? Get you some praise music that you can immediately put on that will begin to get you rejoicing in God instead of sorrowing in what the problem is. Practice joy. Practice joy. How about peace? How about peace? How can I actually practice peace, Pastor? Bible says, he whose mind is stayed upon the Lord has perfect peace. Get your focus off of what you're looking at. Get your focus on God. And watch the peace that's in you come out. Long-suffering. Well, I've been long-suffering. Well, keep practicing it. Don't quit now. How about kindness? How kind are you? How kind are you to people? You know, the biggest problem you have most issues with when it relates to people is people you're around all the time because it's called the sin of familiarity. Just like Jesus. He couldn't do any mighty works in his own hometown. At first, they were awed at what he was sharing. Then they were offended. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't we know his sisters? Don't we know his, his brothers, his mama, his daddy? Who's he? At first, they were totally astounded by his teaching, but because he grew up around them, they're just like, well, he's just another little boy that grew up here in Nazareth. No, he's not. He's the son of God. But they didn't see it. So again, watch this. You have to start practicing what? Kindness. How about goodness? How about faithfulness? How about being faithful? Faithful in your walk with God. Faithful in the things of God. Faithful to others. How about faithful means you don't keep saying something, not do it, folks. How about gentleness? Instead of being harsh and brash and rude and crude, how about being gentle? How about self-control? Now, see, if you look at those things, well, I don't see how I could do that. I'm going to tell you why, because you haven't renewed your mind to the guy that's on the inside yet. You don't have a view of the new you, and you're not practicing those things. Come on, guys. Practically practice them. If you have a hard time walking in love towards others when they do you wrong, start looking for every opportunity you can when somebody does wrong to tell yourself, I'm practicing love today. Practice in love today. If there are things that easily get to you that rob you of your joy, get you some praise music, get you some form of aspect of what you know the Bible says about rejoicing in the Lord that you can turn your mind and attention to. And when those situations come, don't respond like you normally would. Turn around and say, you know what? I'm just going to turn my praise music on and I'm just going to start walking in the joy of the Lord. Amen? Peace. I'm not focused on this stuff of this world. Are you kidding me? Anything that would take my attention away from my God, start robbing my my peace. Practice turning away from it. Start looking to God and regain your peace. Practice these fruits. Practice walking in long-suffering. Practice in being kind to people, even when they wrong you. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. You know where you obviously are weak in. You know where you have the most issues with. Well, what should you do? Focus on those issues. As a bull rider, I knew what my problem now was. Guess what I got to do? I got to focus on that problem. And I got to intentionally practice getting better. And I did and it worked. You got to know where your weaknesses are and intentionally start practice on getting better. You listening? So you know if obviously you're weak in the area, kind of being kind when people are rude to you, try to go find somebody rude at the store that day. Just try to find somebody and say, I'm going to learn to be kind. Come on, somebody. I'm just looking for somebody to say something nasty to me. Go ahead. Praise the Lord, because I'm going to show you how kind I can be. Come on, somebody. If you will practice these things, what will happen is you practice these things. That new nature starts being released and comes out, and you start getting good at this. 
And the new nature starts taking over. Now you're taking up the will of God. Now you're taking up your cross. Let me help you. Taking up the cross and walking out the Father's will is so much better than yours. I'm still not done with this. I'm going to come back Sunday morning. But you need to understand that, one, i got to renew my mind. And that's not going to happen if spiritual things aren't a priority to me. i got to renew my mind to the new me. i got to see the new me. i got to ask God to help me with revelation of seeing the new me. Number two, got to start practicing these fruits. They're in there. They're in there. you got to start practicing them. And if you'll start practicing, what I began to do is I began in my own life to think about the things that, you know, Kathy would do or say that would just agitate me, just get to me. And I said, well, next time I hear her say that, praise God, I'm going to do everything I can to be kind and walk in love and just treat her the way I'm supposed to treat her from the new man. Not let my flesh rule. My flesh hated it. No, go ahead. Get back at her. Go ahead. Just tell her. Tell her how you feel. No, no, I'm not going by my feelings. Amen. Are you still with me? You still here? Yeah. If, you don't, if you don't start, de- don't tell me you don't know where you have weaknesses. Because you do. I'll tell you what, in marriage life, guess where most guys are weak? Continual love. Continual love. God's love, agape, is threefold. It's unconditional, sacrificial, and it's continual. Now, I don't know why. Guys, guys are made this way. See, that's why guys run, to the, run to the, with the football into the end zone, and they spike the ball, right? Or they ride the bull, and they jump up. Woo! And what do they do? Then they go, sit down. They just go, sit down. We did the, we did the deal. We conquered. Praise the Lord. We're just going to go sit down like as if now we quit. No, you need to get back up and keep doing what? You need to keep showing love. And you know what's hard for guys after a while in marriage? They stop showing the love of God. Even for some women, even for some wives. I'll guarantee you, even in other relationships with people we know, our moms, our dads, other family members, other siblings. You still with me? But understand this, folks. If you'll practice these things in the areas that you know you're obviously weak in, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start doing what Hebrews said. You're going to start developing that new man stronger and stronger and stronger. You're pushing. Every time you practice these things, you're doing two things. You're putting off the old man. He's getting pushed down. The new man is rising up. And the more that new man rises up, the more you walk in the will of God, which is absolutely a perfect way to live your life. Because if you're walking in the will of God, guess what you're doing? You're living like a disciple. Amen. Now, I'll show you Sunday. There's one, more tr- there's one more key here, one more key nugget about walking in this new man. You need to ask God to help you see him. Mm. Yes. And I'm going to show you that. Because God will. He'll help reveal this new man that you are on the inside to you. Amen? amen. I said amen. Yes. So, my challenge to you by the Holy Ghost is you take these two verses... 5, 22, and 23. You take the time, man, to meditate on these scriptures. You should never forget them. You should memorize them. You should learn them. You should start speaking to yourself every day. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is the new man that I am on the inside. I didn't have time. If you go back in the chapter, he reveals the old man. Remember all the stuff of the flesh he reveals? See, that's what he's talking about. You got a flesh and you got a spirit man. This is the old flesh nature. That's not what you want to practice anymore. This is the new nature. This is what you want to practice. So any, any, anybody who wants to get good at something, you know, our pastor, for example, you know, he still has to this day, had, I mean, it's been a while probably with his schedule now, but I mean, with his clearance in military and stuff, he'd still have people in sniper uh, competitions call him, say, hey, Gunny, can you come help me out? Amen. Well, you've been doing this for years. I know, but I'm off target a little bit. Isn't this amazing? I'm, I'm off target a little bit. This guy's been highly trained. He's been doing this for years. I, I got a competition coming up. I'm not hitting the target like I need. I, you ready for this? I need somebody to show me where I'm missing it. Right. You know what your pastor's simply trying to do? Show you Amen. where you're missing. Show me, Gunny. Show me where I'm missing it because I got a competition coming up and I know I'm better than this. Let me help you, child of God. When you don't walk in the new nature, you know what you should say to yourself? I'm better than this because I, I have that new man on the inside. <laughs> And in this case, he couldn't see what he was doing wrong. Pastor would go and spend time with him. And he said, I'd have him get ready, get in prone position. All right, rack a load, fire. Rack a load, fire. Then he'd stand over the gun, looking straight down at the guy. Rack a load, fire. Rack a load. He'd do all different positions. He said, oh man, it's easy. Change your breathing here. Now redo the, all right, a little different pulture. Just a couple little things, man. And I mean, within a handful of minutes, because the guy was already highly trained. 
And within about a half hour to uh, 45 minutes, the guy's hitting that target every time, every time, every time, every time. And he stopped and said, man, you shouldn't be so nasty and mean to me telling me all these things I'm doing wrong. No, you know what he said? Thank you. Thank you for having shown me whether I was missing it so I could fix it and get it corrected. Man, look at now. I'm ready for that competition. I knew I, I, knew I was better than this, Gunny. I knew I was. And I'm telling you, you need to start asking God, your gunnery sergeant. Come on, somebody. Hey, Holy Ghost Gunny, help me out here. Show me where I'm missing it. Reveal where I'm missing it. And I'll start working on it, and I'll start getting better in Jesus' name. Practice, guys. Practice walking in the fruit of the Spirit to rule you, and you'll get better at it, and you'll start seeing it dominate your life. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.